1: And so, this message is really designed for all that already know Christ as their personal Savior. So, if you're on that side of the journey, I really believe this message might be of great encouragement to you. Those of you who are on the other side seeking, What do I have to do to go to heaven? You're going to hear a message again, not of what we do as Christians to help us get to heaven, but because we really are. And I really like that song, Go Light Your World. Well, obviously, wherever you go, you can help people come to know Christ. Whether you do it through your life or whether you do it through your lips, in any way you can share the gospel with others. And I really pray that we all will be doing that. I had something happen to me a number of uh, months ago. If you recall, Carol and I were on the mainland. And uh, I went to go visit Carol's mom and dad. Carol was there already. And so one of the nights her dad said, let's go out to dinner. And they have a restaurant there. And the name of the restaurant is called Ryan's. It's a steakhouse. So I'm eating there. And I have my University of Hawaii polo shirt on. I kind of wear that everywhere I go when I can, especially on the mainland, hoping it'll draw people into a conversation with me to start with. And sure enough, as I was leaving, this wonderful couple said, are you from Hawaii? And I said, yes, I, I live there now. And so we began to strike up a conversation. They said, well, we're going to Hawaii. and Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on on the island? And of course, I have to tell them about our church, the gospel, Jesus Christ, and all of that. Little did I ever know that they would then hook up with our travel agent, that they would then come to Hawaii, and they are here today. And so we're very grateful for you, so I want you to know that uh, wherever you go, you can light your candle. Now, I want you to realize this. This is the one time I did something like this. I wish that I would take the candle of God's light, of His glorious gospel, and shine it even more than I do. And so, for me, this is not a high point of something I do all the time. It's really... An admonition that I need to do this more. Little do I know, and I probably never will know until I get to heaven, how many more people that I could have touched had I been a little bit more aware of my life and how it should be before the Lord. I I don't know where you are, but I know where I'm at. I've titled this message, Well, What I Do Last. It's in a part of scripture that there's so much rich material in there, I couldn't put it all in one Sunday. And so I broke it into two, and I would encourage you to return with us next week or get this material online a little bit later on. In getting ready for this message, I did some research to find out what do we do with our life to start with, whether or not it lasts for a long time, or what we do will last for a long time. And on the internet, I came across a survey that was taken. I wish I could give you more of the details, but here's what I did find out. This is what you and I will do during our lifetime, the top 10 things we do with our life and our lifetime. I don't believe they're the most important, last, and the least important, number 10, but here's what they are. Number 10, it says, we will spend our life watching television. Number 9, we'll spend our life eating. And looking at some of us, I do see that. Number 8... We do the other thing. In other words, we use the restroom. And you've heard a lot said, and those of you that are hearing this for the first time about the launch or our our open house of our new bathroom, I don't want you to think that we do not have bathrooms around here. We do have them. We just have one in a new location, additional one. Number six, we spend our time surfing the Internet. It'd be interesting to know how many of you have already spent time on the Internet even this week, maybe even today. And then number five, reading. And number four, wishing and dreaming. And that's true. Some people do while they're driving or other times they are really thinking about where they're going with their life, how they can guide their kids, what they're doing with their business. So they're wishing and dreaming. And that's a part of their life that they spend. Number three is, uh, is sexual intimacy, either thinking or doing or both. Number two would be traveling. And I don't necessarily think it just means those of us who can hop a plane and go to another island, another country or wherever. It could be just being stuck in traffic coming from that side of the, ta- the island in the town. And then number one, and you know which one I left off the list, and that would be sleeping, how much of our life we spend sleeping. Well, I'm not here to say those ten things are wrong. What I would like to tell you is that according to God's Word, the real question we need to ask ourselves is, no matter what we're doing, is it underneath God's purview, and will it really, really last? And that's a good question. Now, for those of you who know Christ as Savior, you might be aware of this truth. Here's what we do know. That when we live our life and we do it in a way to love the Lord, we do it in faith, we do it according to God's word to bring glory to Him, then whatever we do in our life, when we finally die, we'll go to heaven. Now, we'll go to heaven not because we did all those righteous things. We're going to heaven because we've accepted Christ and His forgiveness, because we failed at doing all those things like we should. But God says, I'll forgive you, give you eternal life. But, as a Christian, we try to do those things. When we get to heaven or at the rapture of the church, there's going to be a judgment seat up there. Now, it's a different judgment seat than the ones that the people who don't know Christ will go to. Neither of those judgment seats will be the kind that will determine whether or not you go to heaven or not. That determination is made, oddly enough, while you're still alive right here on this earth. You can know for sure you're going to heaven. And for those of you who don't trust Christ as Savior until you do, you can also know for sure you're not. And so that happens here, not later. But for the believers, we go before the judgment seat of Christ. And in the process of that judgment, what happens then is that Jesus Christ takes everything that we have done, our deeds, as believers now, and he turns them into six different elements. The good things that we have done, done the right way, the things that really last, he turns that into gold and silver and precious stones the things that we did that weren't of faith, that would bring glory to the Lord, and we didn't do it in love, are just things that weren't right. We just misfired from God's word. He turns those things into hay, wood, and straw. Now once that's done, then it goes through the fire with us, and that which sustains the fire of that judgment will be determined of the rewards that we'll get. Obviously, the things that we did here on this earth that we didn't do for His glory and love and faith, and these things, according to the book, those things will be immediately burned up. The things that we did righteous will be sustained and some scholars believe that it will even be purified all the more for the rewards that we will get. And then there's future things that happen. Again, it doesn't determine whether or not we get to heaven. It's the rewards that we get. So knowing that we are going to face that, then a good question that we should be asking ourselves would be this. Is what we're doing now the thing that will last, not only here as a legacy, but when we get to heaven? Now think about that. Think of all the things that you do, all the things you do and why you do that. And so we're going to talk about that. Now, if I looked in the Bible and I looked at a guy in the Bible that really seemed to have ownership of that biblical truth of doing the things that will last would be the apostle Paul. Now, interesting about Paul's life is whatever he chose to do, he did it for the Lord and it was not a life without controversy, conflict and affliction. So some of you that think, okay, I really need to get busy with God and I'm going to give my life to Him, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that your life is going to now turn out to be wonderful and all things are going to be great. Yes, your life will be like a rose, but it will have a lot of thorns with it. Yes, your life will have problems in it, but now you'll have a problem solver in it. And so again, Paul had these things and now he's talking about a time that he went to a, a town of 100,000 people called Thessalonica. And while he was there, making sure that his life counted, he then built relationships with the people that were there for the express purpose of bringing God and Christ to them and bringing them with all their isms and spasms and belief systems and ethnicity, taking all of them and bringing them to God. The good news is, the things that he did, inside they lasted because he did it right, Externally, there were believers that received Christ as Savior and that ministry prospered and you could read about that in the first chapter. And yes, the conflict was so severe that as he had to leave Philippi, he had to leave Thessalonica, it seems like every place that he went, while he had great fruit, he also had great frustration because he had to leave. Well, you can imagine his emotions because he was a person who wanted everything he did to last. They began to think about what's going on with my people that I left behind and are they now choosing to do the things that will last as well? And now we get into that. Now obviously I'm going to be speaking to the life of Paul and he's going to say this is what he did when he was with the people of Thessalonica. We would call that a ministry. He's a ministry leader, a church planter, an entrepreneur in the Christian leader sense of the word to go there and do a work. Now some of you might zone out and say well that was Paul and that was because he was a Christian leader, this doesn't relate to me. But I'd like to, with a smile on my face, say that anytime you want to influence someone else, then you can have a ministry in their life. For example, there are those of you that do have some bit of a formal ministry here at International. Whether you teach a class, you serve on a board, or you be a part of a team, you have a ministry here, or maybe even on the island. There are others of you that you're choosing to have your ministry be on your job. You're living a life of honesty, decency, integrity. You're looking for little pukas, doors that will open up, openings and holes that you can give the gospel. Some of you students that are listening to me, you've come to a point in your life that you realize that school is a lot more than just your social networking and the academics. It also happens to be a location for you to call ministry right now. And that's your ministry. And then some of you that are so new in the faith, you're brand new little believers out there, and you're so excited And folks, I was saved as a teenager, and I remember those days too. My ministry wasn't singing, preaching, teaching, leading, boards, committees. My ministry was just go to my little world and light it up for the Lord. And so for you, your ministry could be your family now who now sees and hears something different in your life. Your neighbors, the people that are in your world. But in any case, what do you do? Whether you're in a formal ministry or you're out there in a ministry of life, What do you do that you can have the things that will count? Well, this week and next week, I'm going to take you through just a portion of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we're going to learn just four truths about what we need to do that will last. Now let me quickly say, I am not restricting all of God's word down to these are the only four things you do that will last. But for some of us, this is a big bite of the apple to have four of them. Now, out of those four, I'm going to reduce it even further and just pick out one for today. Because I think that even in this portion of Scripture, listen, it is so critical that Paul could have started anywhere on the list I'm going to give to you. But he chose to do this one first, and it might be the clarion call to the right thing we need to do first. And you know what it is? Simply this. What do we do first? It's the choice to do things out of the right motive. And you might want to mark that down somewhere in your Bible in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that we choose to do this thing with the right motive. So the biggest question that you want to begin asking yourself nearly every time you choose to do something would be, what is the motive by which I'm choosing to do this? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And if you begin to ask yourself those deeper questions, it might help you then to sort out, should I even be doing this, let alone how I'm going to be doing this? What is the motive by which I want to do this? And I hope it might help you. Well, let's look, if you will, for just a moment at the verses, 1 through verse 6, and if you'll follow along with me, all right? And here's what you're going to read through this portion of Scripture. Paul starts saying this, For you yourselves know, brethren, and by the way, that's why we know it's talking only to those that know Christ as Savior, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanliness or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time do we, do we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, when we might have been made, made demands as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at the first part of the, the passage here. It says, for you know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. You could circle the word vain there and put the word failure or useless or without any fruit or not worthwhile. However you want to do that, it's in vain. Now, Folks, while you're writing that down and thinking about this, I want you to think with me for a moment. Are there some things that you have done in your life that as you look back over it, that it was a big waste of time? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes as a young person, as a teenager, I would look at why my mother would make me make my bed in the morning when I would get up. And my argument was always, why do I have to make my bed? And maybe another 12 hours I'll only mess it up again. Have you ever had that question? You know, why do I have to do that again? It's a waste of time. Well, my friend, I'm not going to argue the issue of making a bet or not. But I know that if we look back, there's going to be times that we think we've really wasted our life. Some of you could look back over business arrangements you've been involved in. Some of you, investments that you had. Unfortunately, some of you are carrying the scars of a wasted, failed relationship. And you know going into that was the wrong choice as you started out. And so right now, you might have that negative. Well, instead of sitting there feeling all this guilt and weight of looking at your life and saying, my life means nothing, it's hopeless and worthless, I want you to say that's okay because I have a God that gives me a do-over. And from this day forward, I can make my life count. And you know what's so good? Is God says that he can restore to us all the years that the locust have eaten and I can have a whole new fresh life forward so instead of beating yourself up over what you're going to hear in the next few minutes i want you to use that as a motivator to say yep lord i have a do-over i have that etch-a-sketch where i can shake it and get a clean slate for you and i'm excited you'll notice i've been wearing this rubber band some of you've been asking what do you have that rubber band you have a rubber band on your your wrist over here the reason i did that is because i want this to be a reminder for us today this message is as much as I know I'm going to scratch some of you or you itch, others I might poke you in a wound, that we all are going to stretch with this. Now, if I don't stretch, the, the rubber band is basically useless. The purpose of it is to stretch and to hold something. So we do need to stretch. On the other hand, I pray that by grace that I won't pull it so far apart that there's pain or that you stretch so far that this message is useless. So let's let the Lord kind of stretch us a little bit. And when you think of a rubber band, think in terms of allowing the Lord to stretch us around the Lord Jesus Christ to become more and more like Him. So we want to check our motives. And so this passage of Scripture is going to tell us what will be the motives that will last and what are the motives that won't last. So let's look at the first motive that doesn't last. So you could do a checkup from the neck up on this one. The first one is this. What doesn't last when it comes to our motives? The first one is the word error in there. E-R-R-O-R. You know... The passage says, Our exhortation did not come from air. Now, some of you might be asking, Well, Paul started this church, and he's reminding them that when he taught them, he taught them the truth. It wasn't a a ministry that was filled with air in it. I would like to tell you that on any relationship that you want to build with someone, moms and dads with your kids, fellow workers, maybe even your reputation as a business person in the community, the most important thing you have is not going to be the technology that you have, the car that you drive, it's not going to be the home that you live in or all the things you can provide for your kids. What it's going to be, the most important thing to you is, are you a man or a woman of integrity? That when you speak, you have done your homework. When you speak, you're speaking as truthfully as you possibly can. Now remember, Paul says, the reason you church is doing so well over there is because when we came, we've chosen to exhort you, teach you, speak to you without lies and with error. Without error. Now I think about that for a moment. I want you to go back with me in your mind's eye to a broken relationship that you've had with someone. When you look back, you're going to say that that relationship finally came to a point that you didn't have communication. There was a communication breakdown with that person. Think about that person, whomever it might be. Now take that thought of a communication breakdown and let's take that a little bit further back. The next step back is the reason that you don't have good communication with that person is because you don't respect them as much. A lot of pastors have left their church because of some form of error or they lived a duplicit life and therefore what they said and what they did were so different that they couldn't communicate to their people because the people have lost respect in them. That happens in marriage, it happens with kids with parents, it happens all over. Let's go another step further. What causes a communication to break down is because there's an element of a loss of respect. Why is there a loss of respect? There's a loss of respect because you don't trust that other person. Now, I'm not going to unpack that much more than that, but you can think, okay, I don't communicate well or it's all surfacey. It's because I don't respect him as much. Why don't I respect him? It's because for some reason, I, I, I don't trust him as much. Now, again, why don't you trust that person? Because somewhere along the line, you don't believe that that person is speaking accurately to you, whether it's an intentional lie or prevarication or he just doesn't do his homework. In some measure, there's a breakdown. So back up. The reason Paul had such an effective ministry with the Thessalonian Christians is because he chose to teach, speak, exhort from a life that was errorless. So what I'd like to encourage you to do is be very careful before you speak. Be very careful of the impression that you leave with the people around you because your ministry is not going to be made up. With sound systems, technology, and all the things you have on your job and in your home. It's going to be built upon a relationship you have. So the first is, we want to have something that lasts because we speak truthfully. That whole idea of truthfulness pervades this passage. Let's look at the second one. The second thing that will be difficult for something to last is when we have impure motives. I can't build my life, I can't build a relationship, and I won't build anything that lasts if I don't have pure motives. So you have to ask yourself, what am I saying here? What am I doing? Am I doing it with uncleanness? Am I doing it with a pure motive? I heard a statement recently. It said this, clean eyes, clean heart, can't lose. Can you say that with me? I like that. Clear eyes, clean heart, can't lose. That's a secular term. It doesn't really, um, doesn't really say something that's bad. I do think clear eyes means you see clearly. Clean heart means you're pure. And you really can't lose. You might lose a game. You might lose a relationship. You might lose the sale. But in your own heart of hearts, you know that that's a value system that it can't lose you. I like to say it another way. That if I want my ministry to last and my life, the life of my wife and my family, and my ministry here, I need to be clean and close. Clean in my heart To be pure before Him because God takes the candle of His Spirit and He goes to every darkest crevice that's inside my heart, my mind, my thinking, my life. Because it's out of this that I do and say the things that I do. And so He's going to do that. And I want to be clean on the inside for folks. If I work the hardest, I'm being clean here. I'll find it a lot easier to be clean out there. I'm going to take it a step further. When I choose to be clean here, then I will be close to the Lord. Because that which is the block between the Lord and me and the intimacy is sin. Commission, I did it. Omission, I should have done this right and I didn't do it. It's a sin of what I think about, what I speak about, and what I do. And so God says, if I want to have a life that lasts, I have to choose to be a truth teller, but at the same time, I have to be one that is pure in my spirit. No motives that can be questioned. Number three, what doesn't last when it comes to our motives? Manipulation. Now, that's the word I've chosen. Scripture uses the word deceit there. It says our exhortation didn't come to you in deceit. Now, some of you are living today with the pain of growing up in a home where your mom and dad manipulated you in some measure. Maybe they manipulated you. Maybe they intimidated you. But in some measure, they tried to change your behavior because your behavior was going outside of bounds. Now, before you beat up on mom and dad because they manipulated and intimidated you, for just a moment, be grateful that you had a parent that even spent time with you because also seated next to you or nearby could be a, a, an adult who had a parent that abandoned them, that they basically didn't have anybody to manipulate or intimidate. They grew up in a home where there was nobody there that cared enough to affect them in a positive way. They'd live their own life, abandon them. But even that still doesn't make it right either side. Now, manipulation is very, very dangerous. Notice the word deceit there. You might want to circle that. It comes from a unique Greek word. It doesn't matter what the word is. I'm not impressing you with some Greek language. But that word deceit means fish hook. It means trap. And it means trick. Now I like to go fishing. And I, I wish I could fish more. I, I, I wish some, I, some of you would go fishing. You give me a call. I like to go fishing. But when some people go fishing, apart from the net, although that is a trap is telling the fish, come on, come on, come on over here. When they get over there, you get them up in the hooky lao and away you go, all right? Others, fishing. You put the bait on there and you want them to see the bait. You don't want to feed them that bait. You want to feed them the what that's inside the bait? The hook, okay? Because you want to get them. Well, I'm saying all that to say this. Sometimes in our influencing of others, because maybe our desire is to get them to the next level, We sometimes step out of bounds in the way we try to get them to the next level through manipulation. And we do that through deceit. We hook them. Now, I will tell you that sometimes doing that you can move the person to that next level more quickly when you use manipulation and intimidation. But the problem is you might get them there temporarily because they are fleeing the wrath of whoever you are or your position or power or control because you're a boss and you can fire them. Whatever it might be, you're moving them, but in their hearts you haven't done it. And moms and dads, I know we've got to position our kids behaviorally, but at the same time we need to be really driven by are we talking to their heart? Are we leading them through their thinking and their mind and I know the children sometimes are very young and that you have to do a little bit more behavioral stuff when they're younger when they get older but let me tell you work as quickly as you can to help them to process through the things that they're doing and we don't do it through manipulation we don't do it through intimidation we do it through a lot of simple compassion and it takes a lot of time to do that how many of you felt in your life you either had an employer another person or a parent manipulate or intimidate you to get you to do something. Whether it was right or wrong, you just felt like you were handled. Would you raise your hand? All right. We've all had that. Most of you can say that. I would like to say this in as much love as I can. Those of you who more than likely have been reared in an environment where that went on almost all the time, you will find that you have learned that that's how you do your people skills with others. And you'll take that into life with you. And so for a caution right now, maybe the sins of the dad are passed down to the son and to the next generation that that needs to be broken. And I I smile because I love you and I can give you hope. It can and it will be done when you choose to live a life that will last. What a blessing it is. And I know you want to do that. And just having that want to button and wanting to push it is a good step forward. You're not there yet, but you got all that you can do. All right, so manipulation. Here's the fourth one. This one is a little bit more intoxicating. This one would be what doesn't last with motives is when you use flattery. Flattery doesn't last. Here it says, for neither at any time did we use flattery. Now while you might circle the word flattery in your Bible, you might want to underline the phrase at any time. At any time. We never used flattery. Now some of you have a little tough time understanding what flattery is.
0: Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box six zero seven nine zero one, Orlando, Florida, three two eight six zero. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear.